I need um, two volunteers. Can, is your name Bobby? Thank you. I need you to sit here. Don't touch anything yet, but you're ready, okay? Okay. So my name's Taylor, and uh, I am just so happy to be given an opportunity to speak about Jesus, to do something that's been going on for 2,000 years, and that's followers of Jesus gather together and look at the scriptures, wrestle with hard things, wrestle with amazing things together, and we're going to do some just discussion around this idea of Sabbath. And before these two play Jenga, I wanted just to get a survey of when you hear the word Sabbath, what do you think of? Raise your hand, I'll pass you the mic. Sunday. Sundays. We think of Sabbath as Sunday. Rest. Rest. It's a big theme. Nazarene nap. Nazarene nap. That sounds like a hashtag. (laughs) Anything else? God. Think of God. It's always a good answer. Steals mine. <laughs> yeah, he just preached. And uh, so Sabbath is this weird uh, thing. I think as Christians, we, we wonder how do we believe in Sabbath? Or how do we follow Sabbath? It's, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Yet many of us struggle with uh, defining it for thinking about, do we need to stop working for an entire day? Is it um, merely just resting, or is there more to it than just not working to Sabbath? So we're going to look at what God is inviting us into with Sabbath. But this idea of rest in our high-paced culture is something I wanted to demonstrate through Jenga. So I wanted these two to play Jenga as fast and carefully as I can. You can just just keep, yeah, you can cheat a little bit. We're, we're going for time. <laughs> Maybe start closer to the top. Faster. Faster. All right, so keep going. You got to go. Time's a ticking. There you go. There you go. So, keep going. I'm going to talk as they go. Many of times, we may live our lives as if we're playing Jenga. We're, We're trying to just keep going as fast as we can without our life falling apart around us. But eventually, there comes a breaking point. Eventually, when we forget to rest, we actually, in our pursuit to be productive, end up taking the house down with us, per se. But Sabbath, didn't ju- my tearing down of the tower 
didn't just affect the tower, it affected these two's game. And when we forget to rest ourselves and extend rest to each other, we end up affecting not only our individual self, but our community. So if you could, could you rebuild the tower? Thank you. You guys are so good. So good. So I want us to turn to Genesis, and we're going to do some story time. We're going to be in three passages today. We're going to be in Genesis, Jeremiah, and John, and those texts should be on the little sheet. But before I read the passage, I was with a, um, at my work, I'm a chaplain for OSF, and uh, we had a, all our pastors, we all kind of got together for a meeting two Fridays ago. And we were all eating lunch, and I, I hear a pastor, one of the chaplains, say something about he's having a hard time Sabbathing. And my ears perked up. Not only because I was going to speak on Sabbath this weekend, but because uh, last semester in seminary, I wrote a term paper on Sabbath. And then I also did a research project for OSF on Sabbath and patient care outcomes and um, employee outcomes, that when employees forget to rest, it actually affects patient care as well. So I did some medical research on the topic as well. So when he said, I'm having a hard time Sabbathing, my, my ears perked up. And he was just talking about how he's, he's overcommitted to things. He's running a local church himself on top of being a hospice chaplain full-time, and I could tell that it was really wearing on him. And I'm going to finish the story at the end, but I just wanted to think about how many of us are weary right now from our lack of rest, and how many people in our community are also weary from a lack of rest that it can be pretty hard to trust that God can continue working while we rest. And it takes trusting God to give us rest. That our world won't fall apart if we stop. So read with me. Genesis, I'm going to read Genesis 1 through chapter 2, verse 2, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the, wa the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And so it was. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. 
And God said, it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, fruit, trees, bearing fruits, in which is their seed according to which of its kind on the earth. And so it was. And God brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, which is to their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it was good. There was evening and morning the third day. God said, let the lights of the expanse and the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs for the seasons and for days of the year. And let the lights in the expanse and the heavens give light upon the earth. And so it was. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to run the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, which is in the waters where they swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Sorry about that. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, according to their kinds. And so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kind, and the creeping things on the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you everything, yielding seed on the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed of the fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the field, and to every... every birds of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening and morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Thank you for reading and listening.
Before I get into kind of explaining some of what you just listened to, are there any initial thoughts? I don't want to overpass maybe what's stirring within you. It's all right. No, the, the number seven is very important in Jewish culture. And it's very important to the text I just read. If you look at Genesis 1, verse 1, look at it. Look at it. Look at your Bibles. So you know I'm not making things up. How many letters are in the first sentence? Words, sorry, correction. Words. Seven. Seven. Now, it doesn't stop there. Different translation. The Hebrew seven. (laughs) So, it doesn't stop there, though. We have the end of this passage ends with a culmination on the seventh day. So the writer here is doing something pretty fascinating. He ends up adding sevens into the passage in multiple ways. As I said, there are seven words in Genesis 1-1, and there are 14 words in Genesis 1-2. And there are seven paragraphs in chapter 1 through 2 and 3, marked by evening and morning. The concludes of the seventh paragraph on Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and it begins with three lines which have to do each with seven. And the key words in Genesis 1 are repeated multiple times as seven, meaning that the word God is repeated 35 times, which is five times seven. And it is also the land that is repeated 35, 21 times, seven times three, and skies is repeated 21 times, seven times three, showing that Overall, seven is a big deal. Seven is a big deal because it shows completeness. It is how we number our weeks, even to this day, seven days a week, meaning that there is a season that where we work, rest, work, rest, that God has designed in us as humans to have a rhythm of working and resting. And the author of Genesis has tried to make this even more apparent by having God himself rest. That this isn't just a command to us, but this is something God himself does. But I thought God is supreme, and you know, doesn't, it's not that God got tired. That what I want to encourage us with Sabbath is a posture, what God is doing on the seventh day, is he is looking back at what he's done, celebrating in it. But then we turn into him handing off something to humanity. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He says that in the next chapter as well. That God isn't just satisfied. We've been talking about contentment the last couple weeks. But what's interesting is it seems that God is discontent in a way. Discontent to leave things as they are. He, that's why he created us. God wants to partner with us to expand his rest, to expand his work of creation. That isn't, this isn't something God is just content to do himself, but he welcomes us into. And as 
the Jenga is nicely put together. In a way, God's created world is like this Jenga tower. But we didn't want to be content with what we were given. We thought we had our own way of structuring the tower for ourselves. And eventually, the whole thing comes crashing down. Which is why I want to move into looking at Genesis, uh, Genesis, Jeremiah, real quick. Flip through the book of Jeremiah, get to chapter 17. We'll be reading 19 through 27. Uh, verses 25 through 27 in chapter 19. But I'll talk in the meantime. So what happens in between Genesis and Jeremiah? We're going to do a big overview, big, big overview. So Adam and Eve sin sending everything into disorder. But it's not as if, like, everything is ruined. God still desires to partner with us to now rebuild his world. So God finds this guy named Abram, also known as Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to bless others. I'm going to extend my rest on you to extend rest to others. Peace to others is another facet to Sabbath. We have celebration, rest, and peace with Sabbath. So God finds Abraham, promises him a family that will help rebuild this world. But what we'll read in Jeremiah is that they have not done a too shabby job at reworking this world. That they were supposed to demonstrate what it means to be just what it means to treat thy neighbor with love and compassion. And as they rebuild, they tear down more along with it. So read with me, Jeremiah. Not the whole book. In fact, it is the longest book in the Old Testament. Fun fact of the day. We're going to look at verses 19. And we're going to read through, I'm going to skip verses 20, 26 because it has a lot of names and doesn't really add anything to what I'm about to say. So I'm just going to go from 25 to 27, just to let you know. Thus said the Lord, God to me, go stand in the people's gate by which the ground, the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it on the city gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out on your houses on the Sabbath or do not work and do not keep the Sabbath day holy, but keep the Sabbath day holy. As I command your fathers, yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks that they might not hear or receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gate of the city of, on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on it, then they shall enter by the gates of the city kings and the princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials and the men of Judea, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the city shall be inhabited forever. 
But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and do not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall be, it shall devour the places of Jerusalem and they shall not be quenched. So we have a, an order from God to honor the Sabbath. But Sabbath has to be more than just not working. Sabbath is the blessing to rest, not just for myself, but for my neighbor. See, in uh, um, Jewish culture, it was the only culture actually where people got rest. Every other culture, they would work every day of the week. Especially thinking on farming cultures, you only have so many days of the year to plant and harvest. Now, it wasn't just those who were sons of Abraham that rested, but even foreigners, immigrants that were given rest, and even slaves and prisoners, women and children, people who were not really lifted up in ancient cultures. Everyone received rest. If we were to look through other prophets, they also condemn the people for not honoring the Sabbath, meaning they were taking advantage of other people, making them work when they should be resting, basically enacting enslavement on their fellow neighbor. And that's what's happening, is that Israel is getting greedy. And instead of resting and honoring and focusing on what they're trying to build and represent in the first place, they end up trying to represent a name for themselves rather than a name for God. So God says, okay, I'm just going to tear down everything you're building. I'm going to send you out. And that's why Sabbath is about justice. Sabbath is not just about my right to rest and to celebrate on what God's done and anticipate what he will do, but it is also in acting and being insightful for my neighbor and making sure that they are given opportunity to rest and be at peace. So I want to make a connection with Jesus, because uh, I think when we look through the lens of Jesus, we gain a better insight to what Sabbath is. That Sabbath is more than, the ideal Sabbath is resting on a, one day a week. That's the ideal. If you think about uh, Greek statues, right? They're muscular. That's the ideal human. But no one thinks that everyone looks like that, right? That God is not necessarily saying us to reach the ideal, but to reach the purpose that that ideal was created out for. That God doesn't expect us to just stop everything one day of week for the sake of doing that, but to get to the heart of why Sabbath was purposed in the beginning. Literally in the beginning, meaning God created and God invited people to be a part of his creation. So Jesus in John 5. We're going to look at Sabbath and how Jesus responds to Sabbath. We're just going to read five verses together. John 1, John 5, 1 through 5. After this, there was a great feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic was called Bethesda, which has five roofed canals 
In these they lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Paralyzed for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up with your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that was a Sabbath day. Sorry, I read more than verse 5. I like how John kind of includes this idea of that it was the Sabbath day. There's a further dialogue in John, and I just want to summarize it. Basically, people see that Jesus did something on Sabbath, and they want to try and villainize him for doing something on Sabbath. But the people forgot that the whole purpose of Sabbath was to restore things the way they ought to be. A rabbi of the 20th century, um, Joshua Hetchel, wrote a book on Sabbath, and he said, Sabbath is the longing and anticipation for the day when all things will be made right. That the reasons that even Jews today rigorously practice Sabbath is that their goal is to live as if the world were already perfected for one day. That's the ideal for Sabbath, is to extend peace, to be actors of peace, actors of justice, and to try and live as if Jesus has already returned. That is the challenge of Sabbath. And it's a challenge of not confusing complacency with contentment. That Jesus was not content to just let that man stay paralyzed. He was not complacent. He was discontent, and his discontentment for something that was unjust caused him to act. And I could have um, spoken a, a talk on our fast-paced culture and giving you all these statistics about how people work, average person works 60 days a week. I mean, 60 hours a week, sleeps for four. The average person works 60 hours a week, sleeps four. I could have spoke on how we need to slow down our lives and make it all about how to improve ourselves. But how, that is the exact opposite of what Sabbath is about. How foolish would I have been to speak about Sabbath, a practice of extending peace and rest to others, and to make it about ourselves. The Sabbath is not just about my rest, my peace with God, but extending rest and peace to others, which is what God has been doing since the beginning. And that's why Jesus came and rose and saved us, is because he doesn't just want us to be people in a theater sitting and watching him work. He wants us to partake. He wants us to act, which is, I think, why we're placed where we are at church, why our church is physically in the neighborhood that we're in, that God has blessed us with so many people. I just saw him, whether when I worked at St. Francis in the hospital and just saw people that were not given rest, were ignored by the church, 
or forgotten, or whether how many people that just came through our church on Thursday, the moms who are just trying to make it week in, week out, the dads who are just trying to be present, for the children who are just trying to still be kids, that they ought to have rest. And God has placed us where we are to be initiators of peace and rest. Or if you want to memorize it, Sabbath is about rest, reconciliation, meaning peace. What was the third R? And restoration, making things better. So in conclusion, so ultimately Sabbath is about living into God's view of how the world ought to look, justice. To come near to the broken, restore not just our own rest and ability to flourish, and not to confuse complacency with contentment. I have a video to kind of define justice for us before we go into groups. So if you would watch, we got it ready for you. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mates. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, 
What does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John and Tim from The Bible Project. Thanks for watching this video. This was a theme video where we take one biblical motif and trace it from beginning to end. We also do a lot of other videos you can find here on our YouTube channel. The Bible Project is a nonprofit animation Cut studio. So for the remainder of our time, I just encourage you to wrestle through some of the questions, let the conversation flow, and uh, I think there's just a lot of dialogue that can happen around this, not just this week, but in future weeks. So thank you for listening.